All right, before I get to my next guest, Travis Fulton, I want to remind you about one of our sponsors. Be sure to check out our friends at the Ben Hogan Golf Equipment Company. Now, folks, if you haven't hit Ben Hogan irons since maybe the 80s or the 90s, do yourself a favor. Get a demo iron. they got a demo program. They'll send you an iron. You can check it out, whether it's their Fort Worth PTX, new PTX Pro, or Edge irons, and take it out on the range and compare it to whatever it is you've got. All Ben Hogan irons and wedges are handcrafted one at a time in their Fort Worth, Texas factory. So no mass production, no shortcuts. Now you can order custom-made irons, wedges, or hybrids by going online to BenHoganGolf.com, and they're going to build those clubs to your specifications. And best of all, charge you a fraction of the typical retail price. Check out their complete line of forged irons, wedges, utility irons, hybrids, bags, accessories, and their new GS53 driver and fairway woods, which are awesome. Check it all out online by going to BenHoganGolf.com. I want to give a shout out to our friends over at Golf Pride. In golf, light grip pressure releases power. Golf Pride engineered a secret that pros know. A larger, lower hand encourages lighter pressure. Plus 4 technology is designed with four additional layers, which reduces tension in the lower hand to generate more power. Play Plus 4 and release the secret pros know. Now available on Tour Velvet, the winningest grip on Tour. Grip confidence, grip golf pride. I want to welcome our newest sponsor, Two Under Men's Performance Briefs, the unofficial underwear of the PGA Tour. Worn by PGA Tour players like Ricky Fowler, David Toms, Jerry Kelly, William McGirt, Jason Kokrak, and Matt Everett, to name just a few. Your buddies are going to think you're a stud if they're even seeing you in your underwear, but that's another story. And your girlfriend and her wife is going to love the side effects, a visibly enhanced profile. The Joey Pouch technology provides the ultimate male asset management. It separates a man's most valuable assets from bodily contact to reduce unwanted skin-on-skin contact, providing less chafing, more control, and an altogether more luxurious feel. Start every round two under by wearing the coolest performance briefs on the market. Use code ONTHET20 to save 20% off your order at 2under.com. And that's the number two, UNDR.com. All right, now back in making his fifth appearance with me here on the French Lick Resort guest line is one of the top instructors in the game, and that's Travis Fulton. Let me remind you a little bit about Travis's background. He was raised in Kellogg, Idaho, played his college golf at Lewis and Clark State College, which is an NAIA school up in Lewiston, Idaho. He won the Pacific Northwest Athletic Championship his junior year at the uh, Bryden Canyon Golf Course, firing a final round 66 to win by a stroke. He holds the course record there with a 61. He's been a contributing writer to the PGATour.com and Golf Illustrated. He's been named a top 40, under 40 instructor by Golf Digest and the best teacher in the state of Florida, oh, by the way. He's a regular co-host on uh, Golf Channel's Morning Drive. He's worked with guys like Fred Funk and Len Matisse out on the PGA Tour. You can follow him on Twitter, at Travis Fulton, and on Instagram, at Travis Fulton Golf. I'm delighted he's back with me again tonight here on Next on the Tee. Hey, Travis, thanks for coming back on the show. My pleasure. Thanks uh, for having me, Chris. So, Travis, I got to I got to get your thoughts. Uh, you know, you signed on with Ben Hogan Golf, and uh, they're certainly one of our sponsors as well. And uh, I know you've been doing a lot of work with them, doing a lot of studying of Mr. Hogan, who would have been 107 years old last week. Um, and I think for about that long, people have been trying to replicate his swing and understand what made it so great. When you've looked at it, what was what was what are some of the keys to Mr. Hogan's swing that we can all take from it? Well, he. Um... Literally, I think, used 
ball flight as the engine that allowed him to make all of the necessary changes uh, in his swing to hit the ball flight that he knew that he could compete with and that he knew uh, he could win. And he did it on his own, you know, and, you know, the old saying is dig it out of the dirt. And I think Mr. Hogan actually did that. He he dug it out of the dirt. He paid attention to the ball flight. Uh, he learned through trial and error all of the components that influenced the face, that influenced the club head, that influenced the club shaft, whether it was his hands, his arms, uh, his body. And uh, he put it together. You know, it, it's pretty remarkable um, what he was able to do, really, on his own. And I'm sure he had, you know, a, a little bit of counsel from time to time. But for the most part, I think he really went about it uh, on his own. And it's really remarkable um, what he was able to put together. It's a golf swing that is obviously iconic, probably the most downloaded, probably the most looked at uh, on YouTube. And even to this day, as you mentioned, um, you know, doing work with Ben Hogan Golf and looking at the videos and and, and putting um, videos out there that um, represent Mr. Hogan and what he did well, still get a lot of views, still get a lot of comments, and um, perhaps will never be replicated again. And Travis, when you're working with your students, are you looking at a, someone like Mr. Hogan in his swing and trying to say, hey, look, this is this is the golf swing. This is how it's how it should be done, and you try to teach along, emulating that within your students. Or are you a more, you know, hey, we hear a lot nowadays. Swing your swing. We got a lot of unique swings out on the PGA Tour. Matthew Wolf, when you look at at his swing, certainly not a classic. Jim Jim Furyk, not a classic. How do you teach your students? Are you working with what their mobility and their flexibility and their swing looks like, or are you trying to mold it a little bit by taking some things like we would see with Mr. Hogan? Well, I think when you look at Hogan, you know, the, the first thing, when you look at the book that he put together, the, um, you know, the five fundamentals that he really kind of abided by, and it was kind of really built on not hooking the ball. Early in his career, he would hit too many hooks, and he went about some, I think, changes that really took some pressure off the club face, starting with the grip. His left hand uh, was very much a weak grip. And then he also cupped his lead wrist at the top. And that combination is going to get the face certainly in a more um, open position at the top. And it worked for him because he quickly on the downswing uh, took that cup left wrist and flattened it out. The shaft um, iconically shallowed out early in the downswing. And he was able to really manage the closure rate, if you will, of the club face. He was able to manage that slightly open face with the shaft shallowing out beautifully in the impact. Now, that's a tall task for the amateur player. Um, you know, I think when you're working with amateurs, you can certainly learn a lot from the shallowing of the shaft. You can learn a lot from his pivot. You can learn a lot from what you're seeing through the impact zone. But I think the reality is, and to the masses of golfers, you're you're really trying to get the club face in a more of a square to slightly closed position. Um, the lead wrist is usually um, more often in a better position for amateurs when you flatten it out at the top um, rather than cupping it like you see with Hogan. And you're trying to get the club face in a, in a, in a situation where it makes your life easier to get the face squared up at impact. And 
Um, so I think you got to be careful sometimes, you know, with Hogan in particularly, very specific in the way he went about his components with the grip, with the cup and the lead wrist. And I think, to be quite honest, those two components don't fit the game plan of most amateurs. You know, you're, you, again, you're trying to get the left wrist flatter, you're trying to get the face more shut, and then from there, they have a better chance to shallow the shaft out, they have a better chance to lean the shaft forward, and they have a better chance to get the body to participate in a, in a better manner through impact. And Travis, as you talk about squaring the club, and you're right, most of us have a hard time getting that done. And I, when I look at even my buddies when we're playing, um, I think we, we struggle right off the get-go, and it's on the, on the takeaway. I, you know, one of my buddies takes it way too far outside right at the moment that he moves away from the ball at address. It's on an outside-in uh, kind of thing, and he's obviously uh, slices the ball into the woods. The majority of the time, I got another buddy who takes it way on the inside, and that causes a hook. How can how can we do a better job as amateurs? I mean, because I think we start to make our mistake almost immediately when we're taking the the club away from the ball at address. How can we be more consistent with that? Well, I think the backswing matters. I work on the backswing a lot, you know, with amateurs. You know, I think the concept of swing your swing it's fun to say, but the reality is, it's I think for most it's just insanity, right? I mean, you you swing your swing, you put time in, and we expect different results. But the reality is, is the probability of your impact position based off of your swing kind of is what it is. And it, it plays out over years and years of golf for lots of people. It has peaks, it has valleys, but, you know, that range kind of is what it is. And I think to, to move skill set forward for so many, you have to, you got to shape the backswing Differently, and what's interesting when you do that for a lot of players, then it changes the probability of impact. And as they start finding impact, their good shots are better, and their bad shots are not as bad. So the dispersion tightens up, and now all of a sudden they have the opportunity to kind of develop a little bit further forward with more skill. And I think when you when you look at what those components are, I think you know the first move back so often is butchered to your examples where the club head so often gets inside. And I think with the club head, you've got to get the club head working up. You've got to get the club head working kind of out in front of you. But in doing that, your hands have to travel inside. And that can be difficult for a lot of people where you're turning, you're letting your hands travel in, but the club head's got to stay what appears to be a little bit more out in front of the hands. And as you're doing that, the club face, you, you really don't want to over-rotate open. So the toe kind of stays down. And you get to that halfway spot where the club shaft's parallel to the ground, well, it should be roughly pretty much parallel to your toe line. And if the club head's a little outside your hands, then so be it for most players. What you don't want is you don't want your hands moving away from you, and then the club head gets inside the hands. That's a death move. It's very difficult to develop from there. So... I think hands traveling in, the club head working a little outside the hands, the toe slightly down so the face is square, gets things started nicely, and then from there, you can really turn the hip aggressively. You can rotate the shaft, start flattening out that left wrist. And I think what happened, and what helps so many is getting them to pinch that trail elbow towards the left. I think one of the biggest misconceptions in the golf swing is is really the trail elbow, Chris. And so often I, I you hear players trying to keep the right elbow close to their hip or pulling down the right elbow to their hip. And really the significance of the trail elbow is that the right 
for a right-handed player, that right elbow should be trying to pinch the left. You should be trying to pinch the left elbow, the leading elbow. We call that external rotation in the shoulder. And that movement countered with that lead hand flat uh, is really a component and an opportunity for so many. And when they and when they kind of get that down, boy, it changes the probability impact and starts making things a lot easier. Travis, I want to move along and talk about um, some of the Ben Hogan equipment and, and um, really want to start with the putters. And one of the things that I love is you've got a, you've got a wonderful video where you talk about the different putters that uh, the Ben Hogan Golf Equipment Company has. And, boy, I, I've, I've been using the, uh, the Ben Hogan BH1, uh, BH01 putter because I love the way the ball feels when it comes off the face. I love how flat that that putter lays on the green. And in your videos, you talk about the different putter head options, and then you also adjust the shaft lean a little bit differently with the different uh, putter head options. Talk about why you change shaft lean and how, what difference that makes based on which putter you choose. Well, I was talking about the different types of grips as well, and I think when you look at their line, the four different putters, you know, you've got the like the BH01, as you were talking about, it's kind of your, you know, traditional look, and then you can you can get into a little bit more of an offset look, and then you can get into the mallet um, as well. So there's there's some different styles when you look at the Ben Hogan putter line, which is of course important because you know what we're all looking at is important, and and it's got to look good to the eye. So you've got to have some options there. And as you're looking at the options, oftentimes not only is the head different, but you'll see that how the shaft is sitting um, and inserted into the head can be a little different as well. So, you know, I think traditionally when you when you look at putting, you want to have a little bit of forward shaft lean. I mean, it's not it's certainly not like the full swing. So your conventional um, you know, kind of reverse overlap grip as you see on the PGA Tour when you play the ball slightly forward in the stance, you're going to have a little bit of forward shaft lean. Now, as you, you know, you start getting into different putting options, and in one of the videos I was talking about left hand low, and as you start moving into that lead hand low, now the shaft starts to lean um, a little bit forward, and, and then that can start to change maybe, you know, some of the look um, with the putter head. And as you, I believe it's the BHO2, has a little bit more offset in the shaft either the O2 or the O3, I think it's the O2, has a little bit more offset in the shaft, and perhaps that could look a little bit better to the eye for those that go into more of a left-hand low. And then, of course, in that video, I'm talking about the claw, talking about the saw, talking about the pencil, and all these different variations that you're seeing in the trail hand. But I think with putting, you've got to, it's got to look good to you. Um, it's got to feel good to you. It's got to sound good to you. And and all those things, you know, are so important. And then as you start to roll putts and you start to maybe understand a little bit about your stroke characteristics and you can you can start dialing in and making, you know, educated decisions on what the best putter is for you. Travis, one of my favorite clubs in my bag right now is my 50-degree Ben Hogan Equalizer Wedge. Talk about the importance of wedges because they've got, they've got they come in various bounces. They've come in different degrees, 50-degree, 54-degree, 56, and all that sort of thing. So there's a lot of things that we have to consider to make sure we have the right wedges in our bag. What are some of the things that you talk to your students about to decide what the right uh, degree of bounce is and then degree of loft to make sure that they're hitting the right shots for their swings? 
Well, I think you got to get the loft discussion in there first. You know, you have to get the wedges gapped accordingly. Are you gonna you're gonna go into three wedges? You're gonna go into four wedges? That's one of the things I like about Ben Hogan is they give you a lot of loft options starting at 50 and then going all the way up to 62. And I think they might even be making a 64 as well. So you've got the two-degree loft increments with the equalizer wedges that you can gap accordingly, right? So, you know, usually you want to try to keep into that four to five-degree window of gapping. So depending upon what you're doing on the top end of your bag is probably what's going to determine how many wedges you're going to carry. Um, at the bottom end. You know, I'm a fan for most players to have some bounce with that 56-degree wedge or 58-degree wedge. I mean, bounce is relief. Um, it's only going to help the club glide um, a little bit through the bunker. It's going to help glide uh, through the turf. So bounce can be very much um, your friend. And if you're playing in sand that's very fluffy, you've got some sand to work with, um, you've got some rough to work with, then that bounce can be very helpful. Now, if you don't have much sand, conditions are a little firmer, then you might want to take a little bit of that away. So I've always said, like, you know, to the amateur, if I had to give them two numbers, I would say 56, 14, 56 degrees of law, 14 degrees of bounce. You could take a little bit of that bounce away to 12 if the conditions are a little bit firmer at the course that you're playing in. But say you go 56-14, then you might go 60 degrees, and then, you know, you don't need as much bounce there. You can kind of back it down to 10 or 12 into the 60-degree wedge or even into the 62-degree wedge. So, you know, I think um, 56-14, I find myself saying that a lot. The equalizer wedge does have a lot of relief. It's an interesting design um, that you get that relief on the back end, but you also get a little relief kind of on the front end when you can lean the shaft forward and the way the leading edge is designed, it'll give you a little relief there as well. So you can kind of be aggressive with the wedge, whether you're leaning the shaft, you know, pretty forward out of the rough, or you want to set it more neutral or lay it back to hit that high flop shot. So it really is a good wedge, and the performance of it and the feedback's been really good. And Travis, the weakest part of my game is bunker play, and you talk about the 60-degree wedge. I saw you got a great video tip out there using the 60-degree equalizer wedge. Talk about picking the right wedge for greenside bunker shots and how we can take the fear out of that shot. Well, I think the 60 certainly has value um, in the greenside bunker. And, you know, I think the bunker shot is probably the greenside bunker shot, I think, is one of the more difficult shots to set up. I've never bought or set up to. I've never bought into the fact that it's the easiest shot because it's the only shot where you don't hit the ball first. I just, it's never been the case for me in 20 years of teaching on the lesson team. I've got thousands and thousands of students across the country that would agree with that. And because the bunker is, you know, a lot of us are, we're afraid to get into the bunker. And if we do get into the bunker, it just ruins everything because we have a hard time getting out. Um, I think that the, some of the most important characteristics in a bunker shot is that you have to create some arm swing and you've got to create some speed with the chest. And I think given those two components, what that's begging for is enough loft at the face where you don't feel like you're going to blast it over the green, right? So obviously we know the face needs to be open. I think the shaft can be very neutral. You know, I, I don't think you need to be leaning the shaft too forward. If you have a lot of sand to play with, you can even lean the shaft a little back. 
but wherever you put the shaft, you, you want to kind of stand to the handle. And, and what that means is the butt of the club is pointing at your belt buckle. I think it's helpful to lower the handle a bit. And I think it's very helpful for players that when you play the ball forward in the stance, say you play it off your kind of your left chest area for a right-handed player, their left chest, your lead chest, you want to get your shoulders more level. You know, that's where I think short game can be very different. In the full swing, you want to tilt your spine away from the target. And in short game, you want your spine to be more neutral. You want your shoulders very level. So I think when you move the ball forward, you want to put your weight a little forward and you want to get your shoulders more level. And that gets your sternum more on top of the ball. And I think that dynamic really helps people. And and then from there, now they can swing their arms. They can kind of swing their arms back with the hinge, get some arm swing working up. The club will fall. You turn the chest. The club head kind of splashes the sand, works past the lead wrist. And now you can really turn the chest with some speed and splash it out of there. So hopefully some of that, those components kind of formulating the setup there allows players to, to get some arm swing going, turn the chest with speed. And now you can really feel like, okay, I'm splashing this out. This is that high lofted greenside bunker shot that I was missing. Travis, just a couple more before I let you go. I want to switch gears yeah. a little bit. I want to get your thoughts on the tour championship and the, the tour playoffs just sort of in general. What are, what are your thoughts? What do you think? Does, does the PGA Tour need a playoff system? Is this beneficial for the game? Yeah, I do. I, I think it is good for the game. You know, I, I think um, it, it's it's something that is, it, I think we're having a hard time kind of wrapping our mind around a little bit. We know that the four major championships are, are the big four tournaments uh, of the year, but I think the sustaining force of golf throughout the year in pro golf is the PGA Tour. And the four major championships, of course, stand alone, but we can't forget that, that the PGA Tour is this this, you know, 10, 11 month engine business that's working year round and creating a tremendous amount of value and, and, and tremendous work, as we know, in charities and in cities all across the country. So I think it's, I think it's important. And I think it's noted that the tour, obviously their flagship being the players championship, I think it's understandable and reasonable of what they're trying to do from a playoff standpoint, trying to make the duration of the season really have value, not just the four major championships of the year. So these cities are seeing the best players in the world play and play more often, like we've seen in the WGCs. And I think it's reasonable to try to bring that to some big conclusion, especially when you have sponsors like FedEx who see the value in that. So I think when you look at big picture, um, and you look outside the four majors, I think it makes a lot of sense. I think it's a difficult task um, to, to get this to come to an end that makes sense because the game of golf is so different than any other sport that we've seen where the playoffs, I think, do make a little bit more sense. And when you're dealing with, I think, individuals, 140 fields, and trying to reduce that down to one big winner, it's a tough task. So I'm kind of excited to see how this plays out this year. I think it's a good step in the right direction, but I, I expect to see tweaks and changes in the years to come as we've seen in the past. What about with the tour championship this week? How do you feel about the staggered leaderboard where Justin Thomas gets to start off the week 10 under par and Patrick Cantlay minus eight and et cetera, et cetera. What do you think about that concept? 
Well, I think it's, you know, I, I think it's, it's something, right? You know, I mean, I, I, I applaud them for making change. Um, you know, the PGA Tour is a big engine, um, and sometimes it, it's really easy to get caught up in how we used to do things, and, and this is the way it's been. But so I applaud them for making changes and, and saying, look, we're trying to, we're trying to bring the playoffs to an end here, and we're trying to make the, these, these tournaments down the stretch mean more, which they do. And as you play into the, into the top 30, you're going to have, there's going to be, it's going to be staggered a little bit. Um, as we've seen with Justin Thomas at 10 under, and then I think Kepka is at eight under and so forth. So, you know, is it, is it the exact thing that it's going to be happening for years to come? I don't know, but I applaud them for, for making the change to seeing how it works and then learning from there. So I kind of like it. I'm, I'm kind of interested to see how it plays out. Travis, before we let you go, remind our listeners how they can stay up to date with uh, all the great lessons and videos and the things that you're doing. Follow you both online and on social media as well. Yeah, my uh, my Instagram is my home. As you know, Chris, it's uh, at Travis Fulton Golf. That's where I put all my uh, content out and all my uh, my new program, Operation Baby Draw, is my uh, my new training program that uh, you can get there in my bio and uh, on my Instagram page. And it's been fun to to see all my followers and all the people that are getting into this, this training program, um, you know, and, and, and kind of helping them navigate the waters, give them context to, to self-discover. And as I said earlier, improve the probability of impact. That's what we're trying to do. Play once a week, <laughs> play once a month. What can I do to improve the probability of impact so I can hit a little bit better shots and, uh, and the bad ones be not so bad. Well, Travis, thank you so much for taking time out of your busy schedule to come back and be a part of the show again tonight. Always really enjoy getting to spend time with you. So I really appreciate it, and uh, hopefully we'll get the opportunity to catch up soon. Okay. Take care. See you, Travis. That's Travis Fulton. Travis Fulton Golf is uh, where you can find all his stuff on Instagram. He's a great follow. Got a lot of really good videos out there as well, so make sure you check it out. And like I say, hopefully we get to catch up again uh, with Travis real soon.